You gotta sing and be happy, damn it. You gotta sing and be happy, damn it. So let's discuss, chat, parlay, and jam it. Whether we love it, don't care, or slam it. Riots, disease, fall of humanity. Sing and be happy, damn it. Welcome to Sing and Be Happy, Damn It, our deep dive into the movie musical. You'll hear history, trivia, context, and reviews of our favorite and not-so-favorite flicks. So let's get through life on this fucked-up planet and just sing and be happy, damn it. And we're talking, we're, and, and we're, we're talking. talking. So what are we talking about? So we're talking about the sound of music, I think, oh, first and foremost. Sorrow. I think that's all I can officially sing without it. Right. You can just say the hills. <laughs> the hills. We are going to talk about Sound of Music. We're going to talk about musicals and we're going to talk about the times surrounding them, their era. Current events, popular culture. It always comes back to musicals for me because I'm cuckoo. Everything triggers a song in my brain. Every statement that someone makes, I always think of a song. And lots of times I sing it. And sometimes they can be really obscure songs. And sometimes I have to make them up. So the sound of music is where we are landing first. <laughs> I think if you sing the, it's fine. <laughs> and I'll stop there. So the highest grossing film of 1965, popular worldwide. The highest grossing film ever up until several years later. The Sound of Music musical actually came out in 1959. Both the musical and the movie take a basic story and completely change it. <laughs> Robert Wise, before he filmed the movie, he met with her, with Maria von Trapp, and he made it clear that he was not making a documentary or a realistic movie about her family, and he would make the film with complete dramatic freedom in order to produce a fine and moving film. He was telling them, we're going to portray you in a great light, so don't make any noise, lady. <laughs> so they agreed, okay. For me, every year, I used to watch Sound of Music. You still do it? You know what? I don't. My kids are like, no, not the Sound of Music. <laughs> but I think the older they get, the more they'll love it. They'll love it. Well, you would hope. I love it still. And I know it's known as being the cheesiest musical. Even Christopher Plummer called it the sound of mucus for many years. I think in the last few years, he's come to embrace it a bit because so many people love it, but he was not a big fan. It's Just, a hard movie to really hate. Like I, I mean, he was an actor, right? And he was in Stratford doing all the classics. I guess he wanted just to be known as... Serious? Yeah, as a serious actor. But isn't his a serious role? It is a relatively serious role, but it's fun almost kids musical although there's nazis and war and well i don't know i was a kid in 1965 and there was all kinds of nazi stuff it was hogan's everywhere. heroes was Hogan's out then right flipping heroes although i don't think they ever mentioned hitler or even nazis you take away from the comedy a bit <laughs> <laughs> by then it was like oh those germans yeah those crazy germans that's so goofy i think straight up facts like it was the last rogers and hammerstein musical and oscar hammerstein died yeah. six months before it was produced for the movie, they updated a few of the songs. Richard Rodgers did the music and the lyrics for two new songs. And Hammerstein was his second well-known partner to die on him. <laughs> because Rodgers and Hart were really uh, well-known, and they did a bunch of musicals together. Jumbo, which at the time was really popular in 1935. Babes in Arms, Pal Joey, etc. Hart died in 1943. 
And he got together with Hammerstein, Rogers and Hammerstein, and they did a lot of... Tons of hits. Mm. Oklahoma, South Pacific, Carousel, Flower Drum Song. That's That's a lot of work. No wonder he's killing them. (laughs) (laughs) So then by himself, I guess, after Hammerstein died, because Hammerstein died before the movie came up. He actually died before the stage play was... So they had finished it, but then he died before it came up. Yeah. What they often do, I guess, when they film a play... They'll change some of the songs. They'll eliminate some and write new ones. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even the lag between 1960 and 65, you know, this cultural shift and things like that happen. Maybe some of the stuff is hokey. I'm not sure what the thinking was behind eliminating three of the songs from the play and adding two new ones to the movie. Well, and sometimes it's exposition too. You maybe don't need to explain certain things in a movie because you can show them. You can go out wider than just that one stage. So the screenplay of The Sound of Music was written by Ernest Lehman. He was a great writer, that guy. And he was amazing. He did The, the Sweet Smile of Success, which is one of my all-time favorite oh. movies. And the dialogue in that movie is just so unbelievable. It's a bit dated because it's from the 50s. It's Broadway columnists of the 1950s. The nasty stuff they get up to. It's great. The dialogue is, is very snappy back and forth. Not quite the same as the dialogue in The Sound of Music. <laughs> She was studying to become a nun. And Maria, she came from a very liberal family. They were very socialist, atheist. But I guess her mother died when she was younger. So then she went to live with her foster mother, who I think was an aunt. And I guess she never really felt like she belonged. And then she ended up going to a church service and heard a priest speak and was just so moved that she decided she wanted to become a nun. Mm. So we're talking about the real Maria. The real Maria. (laughs) Oh, sorry. That's a different musical. Different musical. (laughs) There are quite a few differences about the story. She came in to work as a governess. She did for the seven kids. One of the girls had rheumatic fevers, so she came in to take care of her. Stayed on as the governess. The kids did say to the father, oh, we want to keep her. We don't want to lose her as a governess. You should ask her to marry you. (laughs) And apparently he said, I don't even know if she likes me. But he asked her and she said yes. But then that was in 1929 that they got married. So that was long before World War II. They changed a few little things. Yeah. (laughs) And then also this, like some gossipy bits that I'd heard. Not on the official Sound of Music Trap Family website, but other places. The kids said the father was very, Yorge, was always very open and loving towards them. But she could be moody. Who knows what went on before she went into that nunnery. Yeah, there might have been more than just a sermon getting her into it. But, you know, the thing is, too, that they came to America and for the first Two years, they lived in their bus, their touring bus. Because they were a musical group, that's the only way they could make any money. Like the Partridge family. Like the Partridge family, totally. (laughs) They lost a lot of money during the Depression. Lost their fortune, basically, during the Depression. Oh, really? And their house wasn't quite as grand as that house. (laughs) One of the things I like reading up on classic movies like this is the alternate casting that could have happened. The other people that were considered. Like Grace Kelly and Shirley Jones for Maria. Or Sean Connery or Bing Crosby. Grace Kelly, I cannot imagine. <laughs> no? Shirley and Bing Jones? Crosby? Oh, God. Well, I can actually, I could see how Bing Crosby could do it. Yeah. But Christopher Plummer, oh my goodness. Sean Connery, also considered. I love Sean Connery. <laughs> He's a good Scottish lad, but that would be... I can't imagine Christopher Plummer not being in it. And although he rebuked it for many years, 
He owns the role, for sure. Yes. And who was not swoony over Christopher Plummer yeah. and The Sound of Music? I know I was. Maybe he was angry because they dubbed his singing. He sang all his songs. And apparently, his voice wasn't that bad. But for some reason, they just made that decision to dub the singing. Who was the singer? Oh, Bill Lee. He was an American playback singer. singer? Oh, really? So that was his thing? That was his thing. Jungle Book, he did. Peter Pan, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. He did one of the brothers' voices. Wow. Lady and the Tramp, the dog. Snow White and the Three Stooges. Mary Poppins. Well, Sorry, you know how they've Charlotte's done wife. documentaries about session musicians and some really amazing documentaries. They should do a documentary about playback singers. Yeah, singers. That would uh, be amazing. It, it's if any of them are still around. Well, Although they must do. They must dub tons of singing still. Yeah. High School Musical, I'm sure. And I think what happens is that the people are not star material. They're just average looking people that can sing really well. That makes them not stars, but it's a heck of a thing to, to do that and not get the kind of recognition. The kids, the child actors, over 200 were tested, including Mia Farrow, Patty Duke, Leslie Ann Warren, and wow. the Osmonds. Can you imagine the sound of music? It's with all the boys. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the Osmonds, Crazy Horses. Yeah. I was listening to it the other day and I had forgotten how nuts it yeah. like it's crazy yeah. horses yeah. it's their i believe it's their, ah! their rock first it's like is this the immigrant song oh no <laughs> oh no it's the osmonds <laughs> talking about the history as well so they didn't climb the hills that's the big thing <laughs> oh, you know they're climbing the hills they actually just put on their traveling clothes and took a train out of austria to me one of the major things that is true that is pretty important is that Jorge did not believe in Hitler's ideas and ideals and he did not want to fight for Germany so that is one of the reasons that he left and there was no hiding in the convent it's all dramatic the priest that was very close to them who actually helped them get together their musical group which is funny because Uncle Max in the movie is this yeah. roustabout guy and he's kind of a bad boy but in yeah. reality it was a priest, a very good friend of theirs, who helped them get the musical group together. He managed them, and I guess he was kind of the Max character, but completely yeah. opposite character. I believe he traveled with them. They all ended up in America, and then they lived in Vermont. They ended up buying a big farmhouse there. They made it into a lodge where people would come and visit. I believe that it's still going on now, and I think that they're still the descendants of the trap because i guess they lost their farm and the trap family or the von trap family live there and run it really yeah so but no more singing yeah there there oh, is they, singing they no? do yeah they do still sing like the grandkids sing and they still do perform every so often some of the kids are still alive i know one of the kids that was born in 1914 just died in 2014 so oh, really that speaks well to their longevity I think the last kid was born in 1939, so there was quite a gap between mm -hmm. the kids' ages. So I did say it was the highest grossing film of 1965, but it also received five Academy Awards. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Music, Best Sound Recording, Best Film Editing. Two Golden Globes for Best Picture, Musical or Comedy, and Best Motion Picture, Actress, Musical or Comedy, of course, for the ethereal Julie Andrews. <laughs> So many things that we can revisit later on with Julie Andrews, like Mary Poppins. And oh, she yeah. was the original My Fair Lady. Oh, yes. Yeah. 
She played it originally and made it very, very famous on the London stage and I believe also on Broadway. Now, was she the Broadway Maria, Julie Andrews? I believe it was actually written with Mary Martin in mind. Oh, that's right. She is yeah. on the, sound, the Broadway soundtrack. Yep. And the yeah. musical Rodgers and Hammerstein and Howard Lindsay and Russell Krauss really wrote it as a vehicle for Mary Martin. It's funny because Mary Martin was so famous on Broadway. She was very famous as Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. Yep. She did so many things, but then she never really made that transition to film. Not like everybody has to, mm-hmm. but I mean, nowadays you think Kristen Chenoweth, Idina Menzel, people make the transition to film, even if it's only your voice in... Okay. <laughs> Definitely can't sing that one. But... <laughs> it's too new. It's too new. Yeah. yeah. So when they cast it, I don't know why they didn't consider her, Mary Martin, for role maybe it's just because she wasn't although julie andrews wasn't that popular either because mary poppins came out can you believe it the same year as the sound of music what a year for julie andrews julie andrews won an academy award for mary poppins that year robert wise and ernest lehman went to look at rushes of the mary poppins movie just to get an idea of what she was like on screen and they realized she's magical she was. <laughs> she was magical. Interestingly, Mary Martin's husband was a Broadway producer, Richard Halliday. So that may have been one of the reasons that she really stuck to Broadway, stayed with it, perhaps. Films tap into the zeitgeist. Zeitgeist. Which is an interesting thing to look at for every film. What does this say about now? And what, what does the sound of music say about well, then? One of the really interesting things, I think, is that the film was released on March 2nd, 1965, And then six days later, the first American combat troops arrived in Vietnam. It's about the big fear of the coming of war. Bad things are coming. We got to escape. We got to get out of here because bad things are coming. And then obviously that feeling had to be there, right? Like troops just don't go in with no one having any awareness of anything. Oh, I think, yeah, the American involvement in Vietnam had been going on for some time, but it was officially as observers i mean there was some troop deployment i think i I don't know much about the history of vietnam but i think president johnson had he instituted the draft at that point too no not at that point no no not at that point that was like a signal we are now involved in this conflict officially the drums of war sound once again they don't really mention it oppression of people and jews etc in the movie I mean, it's kind of whitewashed, but if you know any history, you know what's going down. You know what's, yeah. what's coming and everything. And also, America's right in the midst of the civil rights movement at yep. the time that this movie came out. Talk about zeitgeist. There's a lot of that reality, a lot of that tension going on. Although, you know, I have to say, <laughs> with the States, it's kind of hard to get away, with, <laughs> away from times of tension. Yes, that's very true. Also, I think, I think that partially accounted for the movie's popularity. Also... The music, I think, was very much part of it. Of it. And it was also mm-hmm. very much part of the culture up until that point from the time the stage play and the, the soundtrack from the stage play came out. There was some fairly significant covers of the music from the musical. And I think one of them was My Favorite Things by John Coltrane. It brings it into the narrow audience of jazz fans, but it became a standard by him doing it. Of course, at the same time, he was dismantling jazz and bringing it into a whole other phase himself in his own career. But he kept playing that song all the way through his career. He would do it. It's interesting that the music was very much in the air all throughout 
popular. I think there were some pop covers of the hits as mm-hmm. well. I, mm-hmm. I don't really specifically remember which ones they were, but I think there were a couple of you know, middle of the road type covers of Sound of Music tunes. It's kind of fascinating. It was very much a part of the culture for the five years preceding the film, and of course remained so after the film was massively popular. You can almost look at another way of it's like America again patting itself on the back. We helped them. They came here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though it doesn't say it. any of that in the movie. Then they escaped to this wonderful place <laughs> called America. <laughs> on the other side of those <laughs> hills was America. <laughs> Real far. They had to go through a little bit of water. Yeah, just make it over the hills. You'll be fine. <laughs> we were talking about political change that was going on in the 60s. And one of the things I think that culture was supporting and popular culture was supporting in general was a very positive message. Things like anti-fascism, the things that were unspoken in The Sound of Music, but very much a part of the story. Mm -hmm. They didn't come out and explicitly say it because you didn't really come out and explicitly say anything political. Things started changing about and around the Vietnam War and people became very, very politicized. There were definitely a lot of middle-aged people and older people who were very much for that, who were very much protesting. But it was really a youth-led movement in the States, in France. All the things that were changing, I think were all supported by really positive cultural things. And I think The Sound of Music is a very positive cultural thing. It's not a, you know, super sophisticated, it's a little bit cheesy and all that kind of stuff, but it's pleasant. The music is fantastic in it. And mm-hmm. it has an underlying very, very positive important message that I think gets ingrained in you whether you want to recognize it or not as a viewer. Yeah, it demonstrates you can have your privilege, you can have everything, you can be in the top ranks and you can be part of the rich elite. But if you really stand by your convictions, then you have to stand by your convictions and you have to do what is hard. You have to possibly lose everything, lose Mm -hmm. your wealth, lose your standing, possibly lose your life. Because you believe in what is correct. I'm not going to say right. I'm going to say correct. Well, that's, that's the same. It's what you believe in. I'm just not saying right because that word is being co-opted by... The right. <laughs> <laughs> the wrong. <laughs> Let's all just love one another. I yeah, think that's what Sound of Music exactly. is saying, man. I think that is what it's saying. <laughs> yeah. Let's all just sing and be happy. But on that note, and why not? (laughs) And why not? I think that's what this podcast is about. Let's just sing and be happy. happy. Even if it's about serious shit. Can we call that? (laughs) Has anything been, something has to have been called sing and be happy before, right? I'm sure, I'm sure. Well, maybe we can call it that or a modification of that. Sing and be happier. Sing and be happy, damn it. (laughs) I think next week, We're going to come back to Nazis again. (laughs) It's all about the Nazis. And let's talk about cabaret. Because talk about Zeitgeist. Yes. Cabaret. More Germans, more Nazis. And more entertainment. And more entertainment. Pure entertainment. And more questions about what is wrong, what is right, what is moral, what is immoral. We'll answer these questions next week. (laughs) So. So. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Jody. See you next week. This season's episodes were originally recorded earlier, so certain political situations may have changed and actors may have passed away, and that is not noted. Please follow, rate, and review this podcast as we hope to return next season with all new, recently recorded episodes and more movie musicals. This podcast is hosted by Mike Mancuso and Jody Crawford and edited and produced by Jody Crawford Productions. 
This podcast is for fun purposes only.